Hey SEOs and content marketers, say goodbye to crazy spreadsheet mashups and experience unprecedented connectivity between your SEO planning and reporting data. Introducing Audience Key, technology for keyword mapping, content brief automation, and rank tracking that form an SEO strategy system providing unparalleled feedback loops between planning, reporting, and optimization activities. Put your time and energy into strategy, not data upkeep. Visit audiencekey.com and apply for a free trial today. WMR.FM. It's the 9th of November, 9th of November, 2023. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Media and Christine Schackinger from Sites Without Walls. And uh, actually, Christine is in San Diego at Brighton SEO. It's um, Brighton SEO has come across to uh, start doing conferences in America. Its first one is in San Diego. Christine's there. Christine, how are you doing? How's San Diego? Doing great. I love San Diego. <laughs> Plus, it, living in the desert, it's nice to be around water for a little bit. <laughs> but San Diego is such a nice town. It has a great vibe. You know, it's uh, got. I was uh, staying in the downtown area by the gas lamp district last night at the Hard Rock, and uh, we're right over a festival that's going on. So that was really cool. So it's just it's a really quaint, nice area. Everyone's super friendly. So yeah, you know, I like downtown San Diego. I like quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and and then the the gas was the gaslight area. Is that what it's called? Gas lamp. Yeah, gas it lamp. literally has gas lamps, yeah. That's why I call it the gas lamp. Um, I have, Old Town is a beautiful, beautiful part of the city. Um, more importantly, Brighton's there. San Diego is sitting, is uh, sort of sitting in for uh, Brighton, UK. Um, the conference just began today, but you got there last night. A bunch of, other, a bunch of others got there. Um, how's the vibe? How's it feel? Oh, great. Actually, it feels like old school SEO, which I miss. So, you know, everybody was there hanging out, having a good time, meeting each other. People didn't know each other, introducing themselves. Um, they had a nice uh, event for us when we got there. Uh, it was a VIP event, a so VIP speaker, stuff like that. Uh, they fed us, they gave us drinks. Everyone was super friendly. People from Brighton are awesome. Um, and I have to say also in the lead up to this, Brighton uh, people are one of the most organized conferences I've ever worked at, uh, spoke at. And not that the other ones are not organized, but just that these are like, you know, here's your here's your list of this, here's your list of that, here's all your links, here's where you need to be, here's your how you get your bed. Like, everything has an email, and I know where it is, and I know how to find it. And so it's, it's been really nice. It's been a great experience so far. So. Well, my litmus test, um, do they have a press room? You know, I actually didn't ask because <laughs> we were so busy last night with events. <laughs> well, so, okay. so um, you were at events. What, what, what happened last night? Well, uh, I, there were several different types of events, but I went to the Wix dinner. Um, it was a Wix invite only dinner, but it was probably about 100, 150 people there. And then they gave us such a lovely meal. We had options of like steak and salmon and they had vegetarian for, you know, people who don't eat meat. And, um, they were, the meals are gorgeous, like just beautifully plated. And uh, then they had a free open bar, like the whole time we were there. So I think that was seven to 10 or later. That is old school. Thanks. <laughs> that is old school. Yeah. I mean, no drink tickets. Just here you go. What do you want? And the, and the nice, like really nice made drinks. They had a whole list of them. And then I asked the guy, is there anything else we can have? He goes, you can make anything you want. I'm like, oh, this is old school. <laughs> so, and it was lovely to see Morty. I actually didn't realize I had never met Morty in person until yesterday. <laughs> 
So we talk so much online and, you know, I, I've done a little work for Wix and you know, writing for them. And, um, and uh, he's just such a presence that I just didn't realize I had not met him in line. Until I met him in person. So I saw him like, Oh wait, we have never met in person. <laughs> so, uh, so that was great. He, there, he was full of wonderful energy. Crystal was there. She was so nice. So, and much of the WIC staff was there, uh, people that, you know, work in other areas outside SEO, so people wouldn't know who they are. But um, they were just all great. Everyone was really friendly and nice and open and welcoming. It was really, really nice dinner. Well, nobody in the conference circuit uh, will let you anywhere near their actual attendance numbers. What's your gut sense tell you? How many, how many, how many people showed up? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I haven't seen the conference. Okay. But the, but the event, just like the Wix event the last night, I told you, probably had at least 150, 150. And then there was other, like two or three other events, and those were more open. So um, it was definitely, it's definitely well attended. I don't know how well attended yet. So I go to the, the talks and see how full the rooms are, but um, it definitely looks well attended. So. When SES used to hit um, San Jose for a four block radius around the conference center, you would just see SES stuff, yeah. SES people, SES groups yeah. of, uh, of people. Um, do you get, do you get that around uh, the conference center in, uh, in San Diego? Yeah. I mean, it's not as like, that was a much bigger conference back then. I don't think they're that big at this point, but uh, yeah, definitely. You walk around and you see SEOs walking in and out and the Hyatt's located right down on the water and like someone's doing kayaking in the morning with a group, you know, to get them together. And um, then you go across the way and there's some restaurants and stuff. So I, I suppose at lunch, it's going to look very much like that because they don't serve lunch at the conference. So there's so many restaurants around. You just go to the restaurants nearby. It's good to see the large scale conferences happening again. It's wonderful that uh, um, Brighton is uh, testing the waters over on this side of the water. Um I, I really hope this event goes well. You're you're speaking at it. Um, are you're on today or tomorrow? Tomorrow at four fifteen. I am. Of course, the, I've already spoken by the time this goes on air. But um, I'm speaking in a block. So they do blocks that each has a twenty minute portion. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so I'm speaking with Max Prin and uh, Sean Huber. And um, I don't think I know where either is working right now because they've changed a couple times. Um, but they'll be work. They'll be talking after me, so I'm the first one up. So I better stick to my time. <laughs> well, I hate when you're like the last one up in a 60 minute block, and the other two people took 20 minutes of your time. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, what's yeah. your topic? Uh, SEO technical audits: How anomalies are your friends? Your friend. Right on. So, like you and I both know how you go into an audit sometimes, and it's just this weird piece of data or this weird thing, and and maybe five other you know internal people have told you that we've looked at everything, and you go. But did you look at this one thing? And then you find out it leads to a whole massive bunch of issues. And so I'm talking about that um, and just giving some real world examples, of course, white labels, because I can't say what the clients were. That's, that's really cool. I mean, the same thing happens when you're monitoring clients. If, you, um, if you've done work for a client and you have them on a long-term contract, look for those anomalies because they could point to a bigger nest. Sometimes it doesn't even have anything to do with SEO, but you're the cool one who pointed it out to them. Well, I mean, and my biggest one, I won't get into all of it here, it's too long a story, but basically there was a, the fourth most traffic term were four letters and, and it had been on there a while and nobody seemed to know what the product would be related to that. So we started digging and it turned out they were being, had a, a security vulnerability that allowed them to be exploited by a porn site. 
which led us to find that they had 20 years of people exploiting their site because of the because of the vulnerability, and that their site search created dynamic pages where all the, the terms went into the title, the meta, the, um, the H1, and the URL. And oh, so, my. yeah, yeah. So, so, and they had this, the really odd thing though, because this is why I say anomalies, is they had been written up by Dark Tangent, who runs Black Hat and DEF CON, like a decade before I was on the project about the vulnerability. They were fined by DOJ uh, four years, five years before I did the project for the vulnerability, and the vulnerability was still there. So that led, it, that led to being all shut down. So it was good. It was interesting. You know, if, if Webcology were Reddit, somebody by now would have identified who the client was. Just by just by just by researching, <laughs> right? you know the vulnerability is not covered under the NDA because it is public information. But I'm not going to say what it is right here. Worth client. <laughs> and it ended up that was going on for like 20 years, for two decades. Yeah. Also, the site search because when the developers first Phenomenal. created the site, they didn't want to have to create pages, so they made the site search create all the pages. But unfortunately, they were selling lots of things on the site that they probably didn't want to sell, and it was a React site. So they didn't have any knowledge that the pages existed. And a little key tip to anyone with a React site, when you make a page, log the pages created. So if anyone does ever attack your site, you know what pages were created because we had no idea. Yeah. So it was fun. It was, it was a very big – I should write it up as a case study sometime because it's very interesting uh, about how that went down. It's the little things that catch you, or that 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 you find the big – Yeah. It's the little things that help you find the big, the big things that get you. Exactly. Okay, speaking of big things that get you, this is a claim. This is a great claim. Um, according to a piece uh, in Search Engine Journal today, Google is claiming that work on core web vitals, all the work that we've done, uh, everybody in the listening audience and all the SEOs and everybody who's paid attention to core web vitals, all the work we've done making things um, faster, has saved, get this, 10,000, over 10,000 years in load time. <laughs> 10,000 years. Don't remember, 10,000 years, that, that's two eons. I'm sorry, that's 10 eons of time. Yeah, that is a lot of time. I, I think, uh, you know, the threat of it, or the, you know, the encouragement that it would lift your site, and it never has, I, I don't know if it will maintain that. It will stay that way because people just will stop caring, I think. But it is interesting how they manipulated all that in a good way because they needed the sites needed to be faster. So, um, and probably saved them. I wonder how much 10,000 years of time saves you in resources and costs. Um, a lot, I would think. Um, a hell of a lot. Given Now, given that Google is constantly going back and reloading pages over and over again, re-rendering pages over and over again, um, the faster it can do this, the uh, less, obviously, the less resources it has to use. Um, that 10,000 years so it just gives you kind of an idea of the scale of the web. Core Web Vitals has been around, so what, we'll say two years now? Uh, I think a little bit more, but yeah. Okay, two, three years now. Um, just, again, 10,000 10, 10, years in load time. The scale of the web is phenomenal. Oh, um, yeah. And, and the funny gotten... thing is, go ahead, go ahead. Well, the funny thing is most sites don't even meet uh, Core Web Vitals um, uh, uh, pass metrics. Over half. Over <laughs> half. So I guess that's 20,000 years of load time. So, you know, it's uh, it's interesting, though, because 
I do hear from clients though, and people that they're kind of like, why do I bother with this? Because it's the benefits for Google. Like it's also for the site, but the site owner doesn't really get how LCP can increase their, you know, traffic and stickiness and revenues uh, very easily. It's hard to get them to understand that. So Google probably needs to add in some real reward thing to it as opposed to, yeah, it's going to help you. Well, maybe not. Cause like Gary came out two weeks ago. Yeah. It's not going to do much for you. <laughs> maybe we want to look at different at other sets of metrics. Um, I don't know for sure. I've, I haven't done this. Um, I don't tend to really pay a lot of attention to the revenues on various items my, 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 my clients are, are making. I pay a lot of attention to traffic to various pages. The revenues, that's their problem. Um, but I'll bet you there's a correlation between stronger revenues and faster loading pages. Between, oh, definitely. Um, definitely. They've proven that. So what are, you, what are you getting out of improving core web vitals? Well, you may or may not be getting a great benefit at Google. You may or may not be getting that. But you are um, probably improving uh, your conversion rates. And you're helping save the world. Like Christine said a few minutes yeah. ago, um, how many resources are saved if a Chrome browser loads a page that much faster? Yeah, very true. And and. I'm not saying that it's not important to have them on your site, but I know when you go, you talk to owners or C-level or directors on other parts of a company, they're not getting that correlation. Even when you send them like the data that shows the correlation, because it's just, you know, it's all Greek geek talk to them. Well, so, simple. Um, you spend $5,000 over here, you see $25,000 over there. That's all. They yeah. But then know. you go, but that's because you made your LCP this much better. And they're like, what? <laughs> and their eyes roll in their head. It was so easier to get thing, through the front door. The, the thing I can tell them though, and this is just a theory, but I've seen the, the direct action is I had a client site was a hundred percent on everything. CWVs going into CWVs, like the first time they launched it and he was there and he was doing great. And he got a little boost from the CWV. And then he put on a new ad network, which was his favorite thing to do. He had an ad addiction. And I added 14 ads to the page. And within two days, they lost like 40 to 60% of the traffic. Okay. Well, that might not have anything. That might not have anything to do with core web vitals. And it might have everything to do with craptastic UX. Well, yeah, but, you know, but, but the, but the only thing that's tested every day are the crux on the core of vitals. Right. So I've seen that multiple times because we'd fix it. And then I wouldn't work with them for a little bit and then they do it again. And it go down, and they fix it. And so, and I've I've asked other people, and they see the same thing. But Google would never admit there's a devaluation because it would be so easy to attack other websites if there was. But I do think there's a devaluation factor. Well, in that. I, can, I can tell you straight up that with a really important e-commerce client at this time last year, so we're talking 2022, not not this time 2023. This time last year, we were going into Christmas. So maybe it was a couple, maybe it was a couple of weeks. Before, before now, last year, we were going into Christmas and I had to make a choice. Um, where are we going to throw our, our dev energy? Are we going to throw it into um, into improving schema so that there would be the results that were coming up would look fuller, richer, and you know show a greater array of stuff to get more eyeballs? Or should we throw it into core web vitals, into site speed, and to um, stopping pages from dancing around as, as different elements load? Yeah, I figured our rankings were our rankings that we 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 were where we were going to be for for going into the um, into the holiday season, especially going into um, Black Friday and Cyber Monday. 
um, which is coming up awfully quick, folks. And um, I threw it all in. I threw the energy into improving um, speed, or I'm sorry, in, into improving uh, schema, so that the uh, result sets would at least have more information going into them. And we lost ranking to a competitor going into the holidays. And I really wish I'd thrown energy into Core Web Vitals. And I can't say that will work the same way in 2023. You know, it just makes me sad. When we were just doing page speed, and a lot of SEOs didn't do it because they heard it was a tiebreaker, but they didn't realize it was a tiebreaker at the query level. So when it's a tiebreaker at the query level, it's how many queries it can serve, you know, lift. And on some of my sites, it was a heck of a lot of queries that could be lifted once I was 250,000 visits overnight. But um, PageSpeed was severe, it was like hugely impactful. And CWBs are not, it just makes me sad because I miss being able to like, look, we improved your PageSpeed and you got a lot of traffic. And then you have people staying on your site and you're getting better revenue. You know, now it's like, oh, maybe you'll get a boost. Maybe you won't, I don't know, because Google may or may not decide it's important. <laughs> so, well, but it's interesting, the difference. If a, again, the, 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 the rule is the page must be crawlable or the content means nothing. If, the, if Google can't read it, it doesn't mean anything. Exactly. That's if the page is crawlable, the content's got to be very, very good, at least better than its competitors. If the competitor and your content is, you know, relatively the same, because how many ways can you describe blue widgets? Then the quality of the experience on your page will make a big difference if your competitors don't have such a good experience. And this is what radically oversimplifying. There's a hundred, a hundred thousand other factors that, that go in. But if you're thinking in order of operations, crawlability first, like the technical SEO has to be down or Google isn't seeing all that great content to begin with. Well, yeah, it's totally true. I mean, like I see people online will run these polls. What's more important? Content, links, technical. I say technical is always first most important because it's not that it's most important over everything else. It's an equal partner, but it's the first most important because if I can't, if Google can't crawl, index properly, and interpret your pages, your intents, your link values internally, then it, it, you don't, the rest doesn't matter, right? So it's always equally important, but first most important to do. Make sure your technical is taken care of. Yep. No. Now, one of the ways you can tell, that's a terrible segue, but I'm going to go for it anyway. One of the ways you can tell if, <laughs> if your technical is up to par or not is checking the, um, in, in Search Console, you used to be able to check the um, page experience overview screen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> was that crap? That was a uh, crappy segue, they hate wasn't us it? So, No, that works, but I'm just, no, the guru is like, why do they hate us so much? <laughs> I'm just teasing. You know like, what? Why, why do they take the data away? I, that that is like that little graph is the easiest way to get a client who doesn't understand how any of this works to do something. That like removing is... the graph with the impression. Now they have the graph still in the sub pages, but they removed the impressions portion of it. So the impressions part was the best part because you can see like, oh, see how many more impressions you got when you were better, and how fewer you got when you were slower. But that's not there anymore. And it's the... like, why take it away, Google? Well, because because honest to goodness. They didn't take anything away. They just 
took away the Gone. overview, the the, the 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 overview screen. Because all that information is still accessible. No impressions aren't there. No well, yeah, you, but you can get impressions by going to performance. Um, no, no, the impressions impressions compared to your CD. Oh, compared to compared to page, uh, yeah, yeah, compared to uh, page experience, certainly. Um, how many impressions they're showing up based on their 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 number of um, good pages, yeah. Vision of your UX that is true. That's gone. Um, yeah. But all the rest of the information. This is Google trying to save money by closing a room in the hotel. Basically, they don't want they don't want to pay for the heat, so they've shut off the vents, and they don't want to pay for cleaning, so they just don't let anybody go into it anymore. Um, all that information is still there. They're just not presenting it in this overview format and now you have to poke around and find it um but the mobile information either you that's still there your core web vitals information is still that's there not presented well anymore though it's not an easy presentation to just give to a client now i have to yep. do more work and it's just and the reason they said they're doing it is because they didn't want people to misinterpret or something i'm like well how about you just leave it and let us decide that instead of you making a decision for it so well, indeed. indeed. I th again, I think this is them trying, honestly, trying to cut costs by closing a room in the hotel, just barring off that section. It's, and again, it's not like they're not giving us the info anymore. Well, except for that impressions, but yes, it's true. That's just true. Um, speaking of not <laughs> giving true. us the information, so Google made a breathless and happy announcement that um, the search generative experience is going to be expanded to um, 120 new countries. Not yours. <laughs> Not mine or or um, <laughs> any country in the European Union. So Canada and the EU are still shut out of um, Google's search experience. The EU over, the, over um, privacy and copyright concerns. Canada because Google's in an argument with the Canadian government, basically. <laughs> so um, Canadians are being punished by not having access to news via Google or Facebook, um, and now not having access to um, the search generative experience. Now, that may be good. That may be bad. That may or may not improve our relationship to search results, but um, it's a set of tools that you know, the rest of the world has that we don't. Um, and again, same with uh, Germans and people in France and people in Poland and um, people in, in, in uh, Norway and now in Sweden. Uh -huh. um, I'm yeah. telling you, though, you're just saving your sanity. <laughs> Sorry? So I'm, I'm half teasing. But when when they first came out, I signed up for it right away. And it took me about two weeks to be totally irritated with the automatically generated content at the top of every search that I did. Well, most every search, not every search. Um, because I didn't need it. And they don't let you collapse it. So I have to scroll down and sometimes as much as like 1,200, 1,500 pixels to get to a blue link. I say, I don't need what's in this box. I can't collapse it. You automatically generated it. So back, back about a month ago, they started experimenting with a small box at the top to turn it on if you wanted to or a small box with a few lines of text and do it if you wanted to. And that wasn't as annoying, but now they're back to rolling it out. So I had one search I did where I measured the pixels and it was literally 1200 pixels of SGE automatically generated content with no way to collapse it. And it was like, at least put a, at least put a collapse button in. I don't, I don't use this content. I don't like it. I don't like how it's presented. It's very awkward and difficult to understand. Now they got little drop downs in the middle of it. 
just and it could be wrong because it's an LLM. So just let me collapse it. Just put a collapse button in so I don't have to look at it. But they don't do that. So uh, you're really saving your sanity not having to show up every time you do a search in Chrome. I actually literally switch over to other browsers during the day because I just get so tired of it. Well, uh, it may just be me. I mean, other people may love it. I just don't love having a thousand lines, you know, a thousand pixels of text thrown at me when I do a search. I just want to do a search and uh, decide what I want to see. On the bright side, Christine, your um, your search generated generative experience and everybody else's is powered by Bard. If you were um at uh, Microsoft at Bing, you'd have um a AI um enhanced search experience that was powered by Chat OpenAI's ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. If you're over at Twixter, though. You are soon <laughs> to meet a um, AI named Grok, who um, well, I've not met Grok yet, um, but he's coming. I've chosen not to. <laughs> and um, I don't know if I'm going to want to hang out with him for long because Grok is going to be trained exclusively on Twixter content, which you know, actually, oh my gosh. which contains a of amazing stuff that was put up by some some radically wonderful people over um, you know a decade of, of Twitter's existence and also some pretty vile racist mis, uh, disinformation related stuff that's been put up in the last well actually for as long as Twitter's existed yeah, but really yeah, accentuated in the last couple of years. So according to in Business Insider their, their title for an article Elon Musk needs AI chatbot sure sounds like a foul mouth Twitter troll and I'm pretty sure because one of the things that OpenAI did that was so revolutionary is they, quote, solved the Nazi problem. And that is the problem when we, as we know, when Microsoft put their little bot online and in two days was a racist, hateful, horrible, you know, thing. They had to take it off. And what was it, 42 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours? With, easily within two days, yeah. It, yeah. It, 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 it had gone full racist. Now, OpenAI exploited labor in other countries and paid them very, very, very little money to see very disturbing content. And that's a whole other discussion on itself. But they did remove the Nazi hateful, all that content for 99%, 99% more percent of the times. But since Musk is just training it on Twitter, well, good luck with that. <laughs> He's not scrubbing the data. So it's like, uh, Elon, Elon Musk uh, has a person, it's personality is a foul mouth Twitter troll because Insider had a, had a look at it already. So, and so- we, uh, according, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. One last thing. So the company said Grok had a rebellious streak and would answer spicy questions other AI models would reject. There you go. A rebellious streak. See, Grok does not have a rebellious streak. It doesn't. No, it does what it, it, it does what it's um program to do, which is regurgitate the the most likely set of um, characters, answers, concepts, or words based on the data set it was trained on. It just happens to be trained on and not a rebellious, but a revile set of... Um, yes. Oh, that's awful. And then, Oh, by the way, there is a hashtag. Language uh, is important G- here. Yeah. Newsweek or there, Business Insider. There is a hashtag, G-R-O-K-T-H-O-T-S, Grokspots, where they're posting some of the stuff that it posted. And I actually can't read this post Somebody posted one of their bad ones because um, I would just have to bleep like thirty percent of the words here. So yeah, um, please. That, yeah, yeah. Is it all right? You asked for it. The real answer is that it's a bleep, 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 and everyone's got their own bleep, bleep, and on when to start jamming to Silent Night. This is about Christmas music being played. Really. 
Oh, well, in that case, I totally agree with him. I mean, let's talk about Mariah Carey. He's, indeed. <laughs> so that's how it's going to answer. Uh, and they, they told the person to, um, if anyone gives you a hard time, they use different words, for your Christmas, early Christmas music listening, you can shove a candy cane up your bleep bleep. <laughs> well, you can do that, but don't use a hashtag before bleep bleep. Because you won't be able to recall what bleep bleep meant. Um, Twitter, um, Musk is um, talking about taking hashtags um, out of tweets. Isn't that sort of the heart of Twitter's memory system? Yeah, so, well, partially. But back in the early days, like when I first, and I wasn't one of the early, early uses, I was 2008, 2009. When you went to Twitter, you posted something. There was nowhere to see where it posted. There wasn't a feed. I was like, where do I, where do I know what to look for this? Right. So you put a hashtag on it and you could go find all the people that were posting to a topic. That was the only way to find it. Cause Twitter originally as the way it was built was just very minimal viable product. And that's how it launched. So, um, so that's how hashtags started. But as you and I both know, they're ubiquitous, ubiquitous iconic part of culture now. And hashtags are used in ads. They're used to, you know, uh, get people to surround a thought or idea or a movement. So, you know, everyone knows the hashtag, you know, whatever it happens to be. And you just say it and everyone knows what you're talking about. And one of the biggest, biggest complaints people have about threads is there's no hashtags. So threads is almost an identical clone to Twitter most every other way. But um, it's missing some other things, too. But it's missing hashtags. And now they're going to add them. But getting rid of hashtags is like, it's just another another time that Elon has no idea how to run a social network. That is my opinion. Um, I imagine it has less to do with Elon knowing how to run a social network than it has to do with Elon getting rid of people who did know how to run a social network. <laughs> That's true, because he has very few people to do. Um, if you were accessing uh, Twixter, Twitter from um, Sony Playstations, that is going to um apparently it's going to end um uh sony playstations will be cutting off access to twitter something to do with having to pay like oh, 42,000 to 210,000 dollars a month for um the api to allow um users to interface yeah. you know the big part of that though it wasn't just to raise money he did that also to cut off research so the people who researched got access for free, and he started charging them as well, so people can't access Twitter um, to research like they used to. Well, so. see, for, for This is like, I think, just a basic business lesson here. It does take a tremendous amount of resources to service people, um, to, 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 have a, to have an advanced programming interface. That, that's an investment, and if you're making that investment, you're making it for a reason. Christine just pointed out the research community. Researchers had free access to the API so that they could um, hoover through other people's research and get their get their jobs done a lot faster. The idea, of course, is they're going to share their research on Twitter and make Twitter a more interesting platform and environment to hang out in. Similarly, all these kids on Sony PlayStations um, think of or on on uh, uh, Xbox did this did this better the last spring, eh? Um, Think of uh, 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 being able to share game scores or experiences, uh, being able to share a new Minecraft world or something via links through Twitter. All the users you could draw that way, there's a reason to invest in the APIs and to let users use them. 
even if it's for a nominal fee, but you know, two hundred and ten a month—that's that's, that's uh, two hundred ten thousand to the organization yeah. to the organization that would allow their users to 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 come. That that, that that's pricey. Yeah, it is. It's very expensive, and um, yeah, unfortunately, it, it killed off a lot of research into like what's going on with Twitter. Like, what is it actually posting? What will the the AI train on? <laughs> we should, we'll probably be doing that research right now. And Oh, I think we've lost Christine. I'm there. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I'm at a hotel and tired. My phone rang and it was connected to my headphones. Well, totally there you go. It. You're back again. Yeah, so sorry. My, I always turn off my phone connection to my Bluetooth when we're on and I forgot because I'm tired and I'm at a hotel. And so I apologize to everybody. So uh, my phone rang through. So I happened. Okay. It's, uh, it's my favorite person, Scam. Scam likely uh, spam call the spam every, likely spam yeah probably every day yeah like it calls me every day to check on check on me <laughs> okay so uh, we got two we got one more uh, fairly fairly important story on AI actually um, if you're using OpenAI you might have noticed yesterday and some of you still today um, you're not able to use it there's a DDoS attack happening on OpenAI services and it's um, started yesterday it's uh, causing periodic outages for um, ChatGPT um, uh, uh, labs and playground. Um, apparently, OpenAI implemented a fix yesterday, but there's still periodic outages happening today. Uh, Christine, um, I would just think, I mean, I guess it's, given how many people use um, OpenAI and OpenAI products, what these services be distributed like how, how do you do an uh, ddos attack on on chat gpt yeah i'm actually not 100 sure how this attack is occurring but it's anonymous sudan hackers are claiming responsibility uh remember though when it comes to chat gpt um, and even bing not that long ago they're almost out of processors to run it right because you can only scale up so much because of the type of processor you need so um, NVIDIA, you know, stock went like way up because they're the only ones making that that product at the time. So um, my guess is that they're exploiting that limited ability because they only have so much processing power. Not like the web where, you know, like when we do a website and it's on a cloud and it has just another cloud instance keeps coming up, you know, when you try to DDoS it. So that's po possibly also possible. It's a simple case of they ramped up a whole bunch of, you know, bots to like just in, in, input, 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 input. And that was enough to do a DDoS because the same processing power limitations. Well, again, apparently OpenAI has a bead on the fix. In fact, they, they implemented one last night, but the um, some form of the attack continues and there's a uh, periodic uh, outages being reported. If you see it happening, not your fault. Also, Bard um, reported some outages too of, for the same reason on Wednesday. So it, it looks like maybe people are testing oh, how interesting. Um, the, the systems to see how they can attack them, which often happens. Yeah, you know, like SEOs test how the Google algorithms work. People who hack like to test how all new things work. So that could be what's going on. Um, well, obviously, you, for us, we're wanting to cause damage too, of course. You don't often see Google um, uh, uh, SEOs figuring out how the Google algorithms work by attacking Bing. Um, <laughs> you know, I actually just gave me an idea how you could actually, but we'll, we will not talk about that. 
We'll talk about you that can... on our Black Hat show. <laughs> yeah. So, actually, so we have two. No one knows about it. There <laughs> are two <laughs> other AI stories. Um, that I, we have a bunch of Google stories that we still got to cover too. Um, okay. oh, yeah. so there's two AI stories. Um, this one is this one. Uh, again, this one just is mind boggling when you think about the scale. OpenAI is offering to pay for ChatGPT customers um, if. if if you get sued for copyright using ChatGPT, OpenAI is offering to um, to pay your bills, to pay your legal bills. Yeah, I'm please. not sure the circumstances, and I'm sure there have to be some circumstances um, in which you're, some qualifying circumstances. But yeah, there are, there, yeah, yeah. The qualifications are it's called Copyright Shield, um, ChatGPT Enterprise, the business tier, developers using ChatGPT's application programming interface. Um, are covered. If you're just using the free version or ChatGPT or ChatGPT Plus, you are not not covered. So, um, and it's not the first time anyone's done this. Like Google, Microsoft, Amazon have done similar for their generative generative AI software. And Getty Images, Shutterstock, and Adobe have um, similar financial liability protection for image making software. But the choice here was: I don't want to take away the training information. I don't want to remove the copyright infringement. I'm just going to pay people their defense bills. <laughs> like, I, it's kind of just kind of admitting you know what you did. This is not, wasn't a nice thing, right? <laughs> it's like, what, get, what gets me is there's obviously a scale thing that's happening here. It is cheaper because corporations, corporations yeah. do things because it benefits them, it saves them money. Um, so somehow it's cheaper to litigate everything rather than limit or try to limit what um, the, 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 the what AI is, the, 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 the corpus of information that um, the AI is learning from. So, because yeah. if you think about it, everything out there is potentially copyrighted. I, I wrote stuff for Ross Dunn at Stepforth years and years and years ago, and it got published and republished all over the place. But at the end of the day, Ross owned it when I wrote it. He sold it or gave it gave rights to it to other people. They used it in their way, and then other people went and copied it. And I'm sure all that's been like is all part of the corpus that AI is learning on, just like every other writer out there who had stuff published in the in the open on the open web before um, before uh, 2022. Um, all that stuff could be copyrighted. Where is it? What is it? Which well, information and also, is it? Also, it's not that yeah, uh, OpenAI didn't know they were using copyrighted material. So um, this this all stems from the lawsuit. There's actually three three lawsuits against OpenAI for alleged use of copyrighted work and training the chatbot. Direct quote from The Guardian. Um, so to create such software, they fed billions of lines of cop. Uh, yeah, sorry, I can't speak today. <laughs> billions of lines of text from databases of. Uh, tens of thousands of copyrighted books. So they knew the databases were of copyrighted materials. So, um, and this is people like George Martin, you know, R.R. Um, R. Martin. Uh, and uh, I never watched that show because it was too bloody for me, but it looked really good. <laughs> uh, Jody I. Picoult, John Grisham, they're all in the same lawsuit because what people have done is they've used, used ChatGPT to write books in their name and then put it on Amazon and sell them. And of course they didn't write them. Um, so that's where it came from. But the idea that instead of not training on that material or removing those trainings, they're just going to cover the lawsuits is just kind of 
insane. Um, and also, I could think that part of that motivation is, as you and I both know, uh, OpenAI put out a robots text command where you can tell it not to crawl at you for date for training. And uh, a lot of major, major, major companies have already put that on there their websites. So they're going to be losing the ability to train on certain data. So I'm guessing they're thinking protect the data over all costs. And so we'll pay, we'll pay the piper. And incidentally, um, friends, you may want to be, especially people who are blogging their own, um, their own content, their own information. You may want to think about putting a copyright bug on every page. I, I'm not a lawyer. I have no idea if that will protect you or not, but, um, certainly wouldn't help wouldn't hurt to assert put, your rights to your own works and put the robots text on oh and put the robot up. text on and yeah, yeah. And also just for anyone who's using these tools we have to remind you most every show just so people know is if you're creating things with these tools they're not copyrightable so if you're creating things that are like i'm going to create my brand logo out of uh you know mid journey it's not copyrightable anyone can take it from you and you have no legal right to claim it so uh, you want to be careful what you're using this for for your own stuff so okay this is not directly related to search or really even the tech industry but it's um we've been saying all along as the hollywood actors and the screen writers the screen writers guild strikes go so does the use of ai in um, business entertainment um uh in, in other forms of culture and business well the hollywood actors strike ended yesterday a deal that will impact AI and streaming for apparently for decades to come. Um, details are still, um, details haven't been fully released, but it apparently the agreement mirrors what the writers got. And in relation to AI, the writers got um, concessions from the studios that um, artificial intelligence could not be used to create or to modify um, any literary content. And they also got um, a uh, uh, they also have a guarantee that if the studios do use any AI material, they will be that will be disclosed to writers. Um, I guess I guess ahead of the contract. So the actors got something similar. What that actually means, we don't know yet because details aren't available, but the strike is over. Um, TV and really good streaming, um, the generation of amazing storytelling is coming back again. Yeah, it's so nice to hear. I mean, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of details we can relate to the audience right now because there's not a lot of details. But it does sound like um, they were able to negotiate proper payment from streaming as though it was like a regular series television show on the major networks. And uh, the, I know some of the AI from the writers involved, like uh, always being informed that there is AI, not being able to uh, recreate somebody's script using AI um, or their, their tone or likeness. They like can't take a Sorkin set of all the scripts he wrote and then create something that Sorkin didn't write. Um, so things like that I know should be in there if they're following the writer's guild, but it'll be interesting to see exactly what they decided on the AI portion, because exactly as the, they're saying, it's going to impact AI for decades uh, because they were going to just take people who are famous and create like AI likenesses of them and then throw them into movies and stuff without compensation to the actors, which is just patently, I think, unfair. You should own your own likeness. So, uh, so yeah, so that's really, that's really good to hear. I'm really happy. And shows will be coming back, but not, don't expect them any time in the real soon. It won't be until 
in the winter season, I'm sure. They actually, now they actually have to bake them. <laughs> so yeah. that, that, that does take a while. But yeah, that also does, yeah. that also means that anybody who's in the industry, um, from set designers to um, script writers, um, actors, extras, people who craft make services. lunches, craft yeah, there you yeah. go, craft services, you're all going back to work. Yay! And I have a friend who has been on the picket line every day, and he posts every day where he's at and what he's doing, and it's just been like really cool to see how they've all came together, and uh, like he went down one day on stilts. You know, to dress as somebody I forget who, um, and they like they just made it like kind of a party down there on the picket lines. But they held their course, and they are going to protect all of us and our rights, and then protect all of us on the creative side. Because really, do you want to see regurgitated AI content all the time, which is they would do because they wouldn't have to pay anybody much, or do you want to see like the brilliance of a Sorkin or you know R. R. Martin on the screen? I, I, you know, Scorsese. I want to see that. So I'm, I'm really glad that they were able to do this. Now that the Medellin cartel has been smashed, I don't know if we'll ever see the brilliance of a Sorkin ever again. Anyway. <laughs> um, I love Sorkin. Sorkin's dialogue. And, and Sorkin loved Coke. So there you go. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I, I love Aaron Sorkin too. And I, should, I, should, I, I shouldn't. He does write that. like that though. He does write like that. Oh, oh he does. <laughs> run and talk, run and talk, run and talk. <laughs> so, um, the, uh, if you were going to get your review game on your website in order before Christmas, it's a little late for that. You should do it anyway. But the November 2023 reviews update started rolling out this morning. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, started rolling out yesterday, um, somewhere around noon Eastern time. It used to be that Google, every every six months or so, Google would have another reviews update. That's not going to happen anymore. Now reviews is going into Everflux. So maybe they've kind of found the formula they want in in reading reviews off of websites or reading reviews from uh, increasingly from third-party review gatherers like Yachtpo and who, 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 you know, gather, verify, and then put them on your website for you. Um, now review updates are just part of the algorithm part of the everflow algorithm and so making changes to your website and getting your reviews out there um getting the schema uh, updated and validating properly that should give you um i'm not gonna say it's gonna be a boost frank patrick but it should give you some benefit fairly quickly yeah, well, and just to remind people though, it usually takes Google about three months to to run the system to to update in the in the core. So like links, you know, they don't update on the daily. They'll do a big like internal update every three to four months. Um, so it might take that long to to really see it. But I I have mixed feelings about this. So like any update algorithm, update algorithms can take 90 percent of your traffic. So knowing there was an update is like hugely important. If it goes into the core, though, usually the, the effect is greatly minimized and they don't roll out like large updates. So, you know, you may see a small effect from it or you go down 20 percent or 30 percent and then you can figure out, oh, I probably have this issue. So hopefully that's how it works, because it works with the big drops and they're not announcing it. That would be very difficult because when you lose that much traffic, you really need to be able to identify pretty quickly uh, what you what you did wrong. And Google reviews update is a site killer. So. Um, in the well, past, it has out. been. If you traditionally review update is you, you're either going to get rewarded big time or you're going to get smushed like a bug. Yeah. Um, there wasn't a lot in between. Now there's a lot in between. Again, this is 
this is part of Everflux. So it's just like it's it's much like um well it's much like much like Panda was. Um and that's that's now part of Everflux. And Penguin, yeah, too. Like Penguin was one of the most destructive algorithms they ever released because the time to update was so long between. Um, oh, yeah, but once that- they yeah, but once they did their last one, on their last one, they really just boosted sites. They didn't demote sites, and then it went into the core, and now it just devalues your link. So, you know, you are you know you've done something, generally speaking, you know, like, oh, all those links I purchased, maybe maybe they were devalued. Like, you can know that. And so, <laughs> so it's not ma- massively devastating. It's just, and you can rebuild your links quickly, which you couldn't do under the update version. So. So, you know that... Um... Uh, feeling when you're an SEO um, that you're a big that you're that you're a big fake and that you don't know what you're talking about. You, all the self doubt that comes from comes from from working in this industry, and then everybody has it. If you don't, then mm-hmm. you know you're not living on the edge. Um, <laughs> every once in a while, the world gives you the exact opposite as an SEO. It gives you complete vindication of the stuff you've been thinking. And even if the entire industry has said, nah, I don't think so for years, but for some reason your gut has held firm that this is how it actually has to be, um, and the whole industry has doubted you, a whole bunch of SEOs have known in their heart of hearts that click data was somehow used to figure it all out for Google. And Google's like, we don't use click data. What, are you crazy? That's too easy to be manipulated. We never touch that. As it turns out, well, Google, in its uh, monopolistic glory, got itself in big trouble with the DOJ and had to open the um, open its hood and start talking about itself, which has traditionally made Google very uncomfortable. It, in fact, Google would buy people off. They would, they, they, they would pay exorbitant sums in settlements to not go to court, to not reveal this stuff. But you can't buy off the American government. You just can't. Like they're they're much bigger. Yeah. There's no amount of lobby money you can offer time. the DOJ. Yeah. No. You can lobby ahead of time to get favorable people in the positions to make decisions. But once those decisions have been made, you can't bribe the DOJ to go away. You can't settle with them to to just bugger off unless you're going to change your practices entirely. That's that's usually the the settlement DOJ asked for. And so Google went to court instead. If you can't settle, bamboozle them. That's that's what my lawyer would say, right? <laughs> and so Google goes to yes. court, or Google goes to to hearings. Yes, yes. And evidence comes out in court, including the fact that Google has been all this time using click data, not as a direct ranking factor that would be too easy to manipulate. But as a means of validating user experience and how users feel about the validity of information they find on a page. And that's an important experience point for Google when deciding whether page A or page B should get the good ranking. It's also, it's really important to like delineate here. So, because a lot of people are like, yeah, we knew, but they thought it's a direct ranking signal that you can manipulate by clicking your own website in the result. That is not what Google is saying. Absolutely not. Yeah, and the DOJ documents what they do, and RankBrain is a perfect example of how they how they used it. Um, but what they do is they take millions of clicks in a search result, and they say like, "Oh, in this click, we see that this answer, this 
and I shouldn't say answer, but this uh, result, this item, this URL we put in there, um, people aren't clicking on, their pogo sticking in and out of, they're not hovering, whatever they're doing, um, the results to user interaction. And then they feed that back into the system. And if millions of people do that, then they turn around and go, let's change how we order these results. So it's like a resort kind of thing. It's not a ranking signal. It doesn't go back to your website and go, oh, you're not relevant. I'm like, we will not show you. So it doesn't do that, but it's about intent matching, things like that. And now they have two algorithms after scoring in the first sort that kind of handle that anyway, like rank brain and neural matching. Um, but rank brain, when I first found it before it was announced, um, I tracked certain websites over years. And one of my favorite, or not over years before it was announced, before it was announced like six, eight months. But one of my favorite results was in one of the talks I have done over the years is since rank brain is, um, is sweets in the United States. Uh, when you've looked up sweets in the United States, year, I think it was like year 2017 or 18, uh, it had like Dr. Sweet Sweat, which was like something you rubbed on yourself at the gym. I've never actually tried to figure out what it was. Um, you know, dentists, it had um, some candy, stuff like that. You could, uh, Then I went and spoke in the UK and I looked there and sweets is a full page about candy and a knowledge graph about the caloric value, you know, valuing candy and sugar and all that stuff. So their whole page result was about sweets as candy because in the UK, sweets is a euphemism for candy. In the US where I live, it may be or may not be. So Rank Brain put up different results. But over like a year or two, it got because we have a lot of people in my, my area that come from other countries. And so over time, it became more about sweets, candy. And though there's still a couple other results in there. When I last checked it, um, it was very much about candy. So that's how it works. It's like we've got this like we're not really sure the intent localization plays heavily in here too so we're not really sure the intent and then users do things on the page click or um, read or scroll or pogo stick or whatever they happen to do google takes all that data from millions of users and then they keep refining the result that comes out of it and that's what's in the doj documents that's what the doj talks if you look at the documents that's what they're talking about not that you because i know some of you did this as a black hatter they built a script that would go to the page and click on their result and then it would like well no that that doesn't you know, that doesn't have a lot of effect, nor does uh, running a whole bunch of uh, automatically running a whole bunch of keywords through Google and then clicking on your client's page. That doesn't have a whole bunch of effect either. No, exactly. Um, um, so- again, fairly easy to spot. But all of this came from a slide that was presented um, in, the, in, 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 in the DOJ case called the Three Pillars of Ranking. Um, and this is... Uh, an older size, it's, it's, it's contemporary information based, based, on, based on, on how Google's been doing stuff for years. So the three pillars of ranking, body, anchors, user interactions. Body, what the document says about itself, your content. Anchors, what the web says about the document, incoming links, um, uh, stuff that people say, other businesses say about your website, um, user reviews, what the web says about the document. User interactions, what people do on the document, including all that all that click data, which my God, they've been collecting it forever. Like they're not going to use it for something. Well, which which by the way, um, people uh, the the DOJ documents are from 2016. Rank Brain was released in 2005. Gary at SMX said, in, I think it was 2017, might be 18, said that the three main ranking factors are uh, content links and rank brain. And what you basically are seeing in, in here is a representation, not only of rank brain, but of rank brain. So when they said the three pillars are links, what do they say, body, 
What were the exact words? Basically, body, anchor, user interactions. Yeah, so content, links, and brain brain. Yep. Basically what they're talking about in the DOJ documents. And again, uh, links, add user reviews to links as well when you're thinking about anchors. Um, Google is really, really interested in what actual users of your products, what they have to say. Um, so I'm, I'm including that under anchors now and not just not just incoming yeah. links. But, and also, um, do you think yeah, reviews think... will ever be as important as links? No. Okay. Also, also with links, um, link, Gary moved to like, it's not in the top three anymore. My guess is because it's content, rank brain, neural matching and links. Because, because neural matching is kind of added after the rank brain comment of it being the third most important one. One real quick thing that I have to say about this Google, these documents. Did you expect that internal documents from Google would look like they were made with paint from like Microsoft? I don't know. Um, you know what? You're not, you're not the first person to notice that, eh? But I, I think a lot of people are. And Smarty and Smarty had something up about that as well. But no, it, 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 I, I would think that people at Google would have more time, money, or talent to build better slides. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, by the way, um, there is a very important slide that we didn't talk about real quick. And in the now, this is 2016 before. Um, Bert before all the advances in language modeling, but one of the the slides says we do not understand documents; we fake it. Our ability <laughs> to understand documents directly is minimal, so we watch how people read the documents and memorize their responses. Uh, click. So, a billion times a day, people ask us to find documents relevant to a query. What's crazy is that we actually don't understand documents beyond some basic stuff. We hardly look at documents at all. We look at people, people interacting with documents, uh, the links coming in, all that stuff. So if a document gets a positive reaction, we figure it's good. And if the reaction is negative, it is probably bad. This is from the slide. Grossly simplified, this is the source of Google's magic. That, they call it Google's magic. That ranked for a day on Twitter. For <laughs> so, so, do you so do you think that was an impetus for um for Bert and for other um uh, uh, uh for Mum for trying to understand user intent? I think before I think I think before Bert, Bert was revolutionary in that it, it not just that it um allowed them to predict a masked word in forward or backward in a sentence and disambiguated, which it couldn't do before, but it greatly reduced the cost of processing. Using using it before was so vastly expensive that they could never do it on all the search results. But BERT changed all that, and now it's more and more, like, you know, it's more and more, they've gotten the cost down. So, but at the time, you know, they did what we did in basic SEO at the time. Your link said cat coming into the site. The page is probably about a cat. We know the title says cat. That's probably why titles were so important in the early days because they didn't understand the page. So they used the title and the H1 to understand the page. I'm just guessing, but it makes sense, right? Because titles, remember back in the day, a title was so important, how you worded it, where the word went in the, the title, you know, how long it was, everything it would make the entire difference. And then you had to, you had to add EDs and S's and INGs or it wouldn't understand that that was the same thing. So that's before they went into the, the NLP version of Google. So, so I'm not saying this applies today, but I think it's fascinating that they literally state they have no idea what the page says, except minimally, which we're going to probably assume anchors, metas, and titles, or NH1s, for what they're understanding about the page. Okay, we're, um, we are rounding out the hour. We have like maybe two minutes left for, before the hour is up. Mm -hmm. um, quick note um, on a sad note uh, well not sad actually he's, he's, he's okay but Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak suffered a minor stroke while attending a world business forum in Mexico City yesterday 
Um, he was hospitalized after fainting uh, just before speaking. He was uh, taken to the hospital and then promptly put on a flight back to California. He's on. A, he's um, back in the U.S. now, and uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully he'll he'll recover well. He's seventy three years old, but um, one of the most important innovators in the history of computing. Um, not only. Uh, started the home computer revolution um, in a garage in Cappuccino, California, but um, is also responsible for the flash drive uh, revolution that has made digital storage uh, almost free. Yeah, he's um, so many amazing contributions to just how tech, how the internet, how website everything was just boring basically so um you know prayers to the was lastly this is kind of a fun one um do you upgraded to uh do you use wordpress on your on your on your, on your websites i use do WordPress i primarily use wordpress yeah how about how about wordpress 6.4 uh i have not upgraded yet because uh i haven't had a chance to see if it worked <laughs> well it works for some people if you're using a um, Word, WordPress 6.4, which incidentally is codenamed Shirley, um, <laughs> if you're using the Oxygen Page Builder and using um, legacy templates with the Oxygen Page Builder, WordPress 6.4 may be crashing your website. And it's causing, it's just, this is, this is a bug with WordPress 6.4, the oxygen page builder and legacy templates. I believe you got to have the three of those things in combination to cause the crash. Just the fact though, that templates that aren't active are also causing the crash. Oh, well, yeah, thank you. I forgot to mention that. You yeah. don't actually, it doesn't have to be your active template. It could be ones that, you know, you know, people have like a half dozen in storage just to see how their page might look in a different template, but you never erase it after, you, after you've uh, downloaded it. You might want to get rid of all of those that are that just sort of sitting resident in your, uh, in your, in, in your WordPress build. Yeah. Yeah. That's just a crazy thing that that, that, could, that could make a crash. So very interesting. But yeah, definitely you want to make sure that you're not crashing your WordPress because these are fatal errors. If you've ever had a fatal error in WordPress, it's the worst because you just get like a white screen of death and you're like, how do I get in there? And it's like, you can't. So uh, you just have to go by FTP or something. Okay. That's, that's about it. Um, I guess even, even the hotel room, the whole, the whole thing, no new observations from, uh, from, from Brighton SEO in uh, San Diego, but it's amazing that you're there. Um, what are you up to this afternoon? Do you have do you have do you have anything um, planned? I have a lunch with Mike Brian, which will be lovely. Excellent. And uh, then Big I'm gonna watch to Mike. Some, yes, then I'm gonna watch some talks, have a business dinner, and hopefully do karaoke tonight. They have a karaoke session if I get out of my business dinner early enough. Um, but you know what I, I just want to say before we go, I want to say for the Brighton SEO people, this is the kind of conference that I think we really need in the States. It feels old school, it feels welcoming, it's open. Um, everybody is just hanging out. There's no like, you know, not that I'm saying another conference does this or anything, but I was saying for, for just in general in life, you know, there's no ego. Like Kelvin is like walking around and talking to everybody. He's one who runs the conference and all the staff is just so nice and helpful. 
And uh, I think it just has that vibe of like a, like early conferences. And I, I think we need that in the industry. So we, you know, can talk to each other and because social has made that difficult. And so I think being in person and having these conversations with people last night, you know, were just great. You know, no one blocked me. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I'm joking, of course, about social, but it's just, it's a really good environment. It's really chill. And I really hope that they decide to make the U.S. a regular, a regular conference des- destination. I think they've done a really good job. Well, there's really good feedback about Brighton SEO so far, uh, Brighton SEO San Diego so far. So congratulations to all the Brighton SEO uh, people and everyone who's attending. I'm jealous. I'm uh, stuck up here in freezing old Canada while you're down there in nice warm San Diego. Um, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful town. Um, before we go, I want to say thanks to Darren Brandy and uh, Ricky and Brasco in the studio. Um, and also thanks to our sponsor, Audio, uh, Audience Key. Um, that's it. We got full clock all the way around. So congratulations, um, Brighton SEO San Diego. I hope it's a great conference. Everybody else, um, be well, have a great week, rank well, be kind to each other. And on behalf of Christine Schackinger from Sites Without Walls, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. We'll talk to you next week. Bye, everybody.